we continue with our Transform series. Week 3, day 15, begins today. Yogi Berra was an all-star catcher for the New York Yankees. He often said things that sounded very wise, yet at times absolutely made no sense. Now, for some in this room, I know you're like, I don't know Yogi Berra, but if you read a little bit of baseball history, you could pick up on him very quickly. He said things like, you can observe a lot just by watching. He made another statement. He said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. He says some things that really kind of catch your thinking. Like, now what's he trying to say? He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. It's a good one to ponder on for a moment. Here's the quote that best relates to our topic for this morning, though, which is mental health. This is what Yogi said about the game of baseball. He said, 90% of the game is half mental. Just let that sink in for a minute, a moment. 90% of the game is half mental. Now, Yogi wasn't particularly articulate, but he was actually very wise. Well, he didn't say it quite like this. His point was this, that even though the game of baseball was a very physical game, you got to be able to hit a baseball and catch a baseball, and be able to run and dive and be in shape to play the game. He knew that the mental part of the game was the largest part of it. It wasn't the physical side of the game. And if you've been in sport and played any kind of sports, you know that. If you're a golfer, you know how important the mental part of the game is. I mean, you could be up just ready to hit the thing and a bird fly by or your friend makes some snide comment as you're getting ready to hit. And you're like, that's my focus. Tiger Woods, their stories are told that when he was three years old and learning how to hit a golf ball, his dad would stand by him and purposely drop a club just to make a distraction, just to see was he mentally tuned in. Isn't that how life is, though? 90% of our success and happiness and our walk with God and whether we're going well with Him or not has to do with our mental capacity and what's happening. In 2001, there's a book that came out that many athletes uh, were talking about and promoting and sharing and saying, hey, this book is really good. Everybody needs to read it. The book is called Mind Gym, An Athlete's Guide to Inner Excellence. It's a book written by a sports psychologist. It's a fascinating little book with a bunch of quotes from great athletes over the last generation talking about how this book transformed the way they played the game. I mean, even professional athletes who were maybe stuck in a rut, who were struggling, so they picked up that game and started to realize, this is all about my mental capacity. The message of the book was simply this, what you think affects how you feel and perform. Training your brain is as important as training your body. And that's hard to realize that when you're playing sport because you think, I got to lift more weights, I got to be able to run faster, I got to be able to hit the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball, whatever it may be. But a lot of it has to do with your mental capacity. We're in this series, Transformation. Today I want to talk about the mind and how important the mind is to be in transform. I'm really excited. I hope you're enjoying this series. I'm really excited we're walking through the daily devotions. I hope you're keeping up with those, and some may say, I'm a little behind, whatever. Don't beat yourself up. Keep going. Don't give up. If you're a day or two behind, say, oh, I'm going to do one today. It's not a thing where I've got to pass or I fail. You stay on the journey. Don't give up, and God continually is going to continue to work in you. I'm really enjoying the study, though. One of our memory verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I think that fits. And this series fits so well with who we are as a church. 
Because our mission as a church is to connect people to Jesus so that Jesus can transform or change them into a new person. And this fits exactly what we're trying to do as a church. And I love to see how it's working. Because change begins with someone becoming a follower of Jesus. But that's just the starting place. That's not the finishing place. Transformation takes a little bit of time. And for those of you who have been Christians for some time, sometimes you can go, you know what? I feel like I'm stuck in a rut. And sometimes the rut can last for some time. Sometimes the rut might be, well, I was stuck in a rut for a month, or I was stuck in a rut for six months during 2015. Or for some, I've been stuck in a rut for a year or years. And sometimes you can feel like, I'm just the same person I've been. Some of us can look back and go, I can look back five years ago, and I can see maybe some things are different. But quite honestly, you look at your life and you're like, it's not transformation. I mean, transformation means made brand new. Transformation means some things have drastically shifted and changed in your life. That the, Really, the old life is gone and the new has come. And unfortunately, in the church, sometimes we can get used to going through the actions. Well, it's Sunday morning. What do I do? I get up and I go to church. Ah, it's during the middle of the week. It's Tuesday night. What I do? I go to my small group. Oh, yeah, the preacher talks about having quiet time and read my Bible. Maybe I do one of those, two of those this week, and I'll just kind of go through the motions. And when we go through the motions, what happens is, is we just kind of continue doing the same thing. And we can look back five years, ten years, and go, I really haven't changed. And I want to talk about today. Today I want to look at... How do we get into this so that our mind can really be changed? You know, remember the memory verse, it's on the front of your books for the whole series, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. One translation says, be transformed by changing the way you think. I like that. I think it's accurate. To change the way you think. That's where we have to start if we're going to experience lasting transformation with our minds. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear. He makes it very clear. In Romans 7 and 8, Paul talks about the difficulty of living a godly life. And we want to do what's right. And Paul says when you want to do what's right, oftentimes that's not what gets done. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Although we want to do good, evil is there right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, raging war against the law of mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and death, sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, Paul uses a very powerful image in the last phrase when he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? You've got to ask that question. What is he talking about? Because he's alive. Let me give you a visual he's talking about. Wes, come on up here for a second. And Will, come on up here for a second. This is the visual of what's happening in this text, okay? In Roman times, the way they would punish somebody or the way they would take their life sometimes is they would tie people to a pole back to back like this. And if Wes had already passed away, so Wes, you're dead. Go ahead, dunk your head, you're dead, Okay. So Wes is dead, but they want to punish Will because he's done something that's wrong, and they would tie them back to back, and they would let this body decay. Literally let this body decay, and the worms start to eat him while this guy's still alive. You know what's going to happen to him? He's going to die a terrible death. 
Because he's tied back to back, and as the worms and the bugs eat through this dead body in a Roman, they would tie them back to back, this new good body, because you're going to punish him for whatever he's done, tie him back to back so that his decay eventually comes over to him and he gets eaten alive, but it's a slow, terrible death. He's destroyed by worms and bugs. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? That's what Paul's talking about. I'm sorry, it's in a text. Thanks for your help. So Paul's talking about when Paul says, who am I who will deliver me from this body of death? He wants us to know how serious this war is. He wants us to know how serious this war is that you're in. He wants to understand that the old man, the body of death, is really trying to kill us. The body of death, the old man or the old woman, when you come to Christ, you still have that old man or old woman that wants to hang around, wants to destroy you. And Paul is distraught. Paul is frustrated. He wants to do what's right. He wants to be transformed. He wants to be free from the body of death. But it's not working. In the visual images, we're sometimes carrying around this old thing that's decaying. And Paul's saying, how do I get away from that? How do I flee from it? What's the answer? Romans 8 gives us the answer. I wish I had time just to walk through Romans 7 and Romans 8, but I don't have time to do all that. You can read it on your own. But here's the answer. Paul says, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The answer is the Holy Spirit. How exactly does that work? Practically speaking, how do we activate the Spirit's power inside of us? How do we get the Spirit to start working and start moving when we say, you know what, I've come to Christ. If you're a Christian, you've come to Christ, you received Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And for too many of us, we go, well, I received that Holy Spirit guy. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if I know how he really works. Well, here's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. What do you desire this morning? Do you desire death or do you desire life and peace? Do you desire living to the old way of life or do you say, I want to live this new way that... I have in Jesus Christ. The key to, defeat, to defeating sin and temptation is right here. It's in our mind. The key to experiencing life and peace, it's right here. It's in our mind. The, the way to experience a transformed life is through the renewing, through the changing, through the mind being made new. Are you still just living in an old way? Or are you day by day allowing your mind to be made new? Let me show you one more passage where Paul illustrates the importance of our minds and thoughts from 2 Corinthians. In chapter 10, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Paul's saying you have to take captive. You, you have to work with your mind, basically. You, you have to tell your mind, here's the direction my life is going. You have to tell your mind, the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what I want to start working in my life. And so I want to talk about that. Three daily choices to get your mind aligned with Christ so that transformation happens. Three daily choices of feeding and being set free and to focus. Let's talk about how I must feed my mind with the truth. Where do you get your truth today? I mean, for some truth, people think it's Fox News. 
Turn on that television box and hear Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and, and the gang of Fox News because I know they'll give it straight. For some, maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. If you want truth, you need to watch things like Comedy Central and Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert and, and, and they'll sort out fact or fiction. And it boggles my mind that last year Jon Stewart from Comedy Central is regarded America as the most trusted news figure on television. Exactly. It's laughable. Or maybe you're more in the middle. You like Brian Williams on NBC or Scott Pelley on CBS or the names that you trust and you think, well, there's some truth. I wish I didn't even have to tell you this. But let me just tell you, none of those places bring the whole truth. None of them bring the whole truth. They're all filled with partial truths. Partial truths. The only place you can go to get the whole truth, 100% truth, where it will never fail you, is this book right here that we hold in our hands. Now, some of you, I know you're holding on a special little electronic device. It's still God's Word. The only place you're going to get 100% truth is this right here. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. He's a shield. He's a protector, in other words. His word is truth, and when you live by that, it protects you, it shields you. And what Bible students refer to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed this for his followers in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What did Jesus proclaim? Your word is truth. Psalmist in Psalm 33, verse 4 says, for, your, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Now, last night, after watching Kentucky, they tried. It was close. After watching that and watching a little television, I totally forgot. Didn't know that there was some big election thing going on. I didn't really care. And flipping channels, and all of a sudden, they're talking about how Donald Trump won again, and Rubio this, and Clinton this, and da 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 down the line. And you know this is going to happen. It's already starting to happen. The advertising is elevating, and the TV commercials are elevating. And as it gets closer, and then when they come to our state and, and do, do the um, primary in our state, we'll be bombarded with things in the mail and television advertising, and you get all this information, and everybody's trying to say, I'm right, he's wrong, she's wrong, he did this, she did that. And how do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder, how do I know what's true? You ever wonder that? I want watch the commercials like, yeah, you said that, but I don't know what's right. I don't know what's accurate. I have no idea who to vote for because all of you like to lie in some way. Well, if you've been around the election cycle for long, a few years ago, they started popping up these little websites where hopefully you could find some truth, and there's one that is specifically called Fact Check. Fact Check check.org. Again, I don't know how accurate that is. There's probably inaccuracies in that because someone's putting money and opinions behind that, but that's what they claim. They claim that we are the fact check. So if so-and-so says this about so-and-so or so-and-so says so-and-so did this, you can go there and supposedly look it up and they'll give you the facts. I don't know if it's good. I don't make a recommendation one way or the other. I don't know. Here's what I do know. For us, the Bible is our fact check. The Bible is where we should go when we're wondering, is this 
thing of life true? Is it not true? Go to the Bible. Will this work? Will it not work? What do you do? Go to the Bible. I'm stressed out. What am I supposed to do? You go to the Bible because this is truth. This is the only fact check that we need. Matthew 4, 4, what was going on? Jesus in the desert. What did he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus was human just like you and me. And Jesus being tempted just like you and I have been tempted. And Jesus just came off of 40 days of fasting. And what happens? Satan comes after him and he says, I live on nothing but the word of God. And Jesus quotes that right out of Deuteronomy 8 where Moses is trying to get the people of Israel to understand after wandering in the desert and they've been wandering for 40 years to understand there's only one truth. Look what it says. He humbled you. Moses talking about God. God humbled you, my Israelite friends, caused you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on what? On every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's trying to get the people of Israel, listen, you think it's all about the stuff that fills your stomach. That's not what it's about. Moses, I want you to understand, this is what you need to live on. This book, these words, God's words, are what you need to feed your mind kind of getting repetitive, isn't it? You're like, Brian, didn't you say something like that last week when we were talking about, about our physical exercise and, and you guys came in looking for some big physical exercise plan? I can't give you one. God's Word. We must feed our minds every single day, not, not just on Sunday. If all you get is the half hour of teaching that you receive on Sunday here, I got to tell you, you're going to starve to death. You are, you're going to literally start a death. If you only ate food one morning a week, you would be extremely ill and sick. We need to read God's Word every single day. We need to feed on God's Word every single day and throughout the day. It's, it's kind of like healthy eating. What do they tell you? I mean, I know enough about healthy eating. They tell you if you want to lose weight, you want your, your blood sugars to stay leveled, how many meals a day should you eat? They tell you about six. About every two hours, I have small snacks and me nibbling throughout the day. Don't eat a real big meal, then not eat all day long. You try to nibble throughout the day, try to keep your blood sugars leveled out, keep your energy level up, and then that's a more healthy way to live. You know, the Bible tells us the same thing about walking with God. It says we should feed on God's Word a little bit throughout the entire day. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is a man, you can put woman in there, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. Not just get up and give God five minutes. Yeah, it's a great starting place. But to give God time throughout your entire day to give God moments where, God, you and I are going to spend a few minutes. I want to look at some Scripture with you, God. I want to talk to you, God. I want to hear from you, God. How do you do that? How do you feed on God's Word day and night? First of all, remember what I said last week? How you begin your day determines how you will live your day. You start your day with television and Facebook and Twitter and email and all that, I guarantee your day's probably going to be more stressful versus if you start your day with some worship in God's Word. 
Begin your day with worship in God's Word. Ask God, please speak to me. As you're reading His Word, a simple thing I like to do when I'm reading text, God, just speak to me as I'm reading this, and something will probably jump off the page and to underline it or to mark it or even to write it in another journal. God, speak to me. And then you can draw back to that throughout that day and throughout that week. God, speak to me. Write that verse down. Maybe take a picture of it. A lot of you have smartphones. You're reading God's Word, and you're like, oh, that is really cool. That's really new to me. What about taking your phone out? Take a picture of it. So when you're flipping through your pictures and looking at your friends and looking at your kids and looking at things you're trying to buy in your shop, and all of a sudden there's God's Word in a mix, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that text. I remember having that in my life. I remember, I remember reading it with God the other day. Review the verse throughout the day. Review it throughout the day. For some of you, you have some really cool um, screensavers on your computers. You have some really cool screensavers on your, on your tablets, on your phone. What about putting Scripture as your screensaver? I mean, I know your wife is probably absolutely beautiful, and I know your kids are really, really cute. But quite honestly, that's not going to be the thing that really guides you throughout the day. So why not in areas where you're going to see things? Look at the mirror. Put a Scripture on it. Look at your computer. Put a Scripture on it. Look at your smartphone. Put a Scripture on it. Wherever you're going to be, that throughout the day you can see some Scripture flash before your eyes. You can take a moment and read it and say, God, I want to feed on that. God, I want you to feed my mind. If you don't have the version Bible app in your devices, you're missing out. Write it down, version. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It is the absolute best Bible app there is by far. Absolutely free. And there are Bible reading plans galore. Oh, I'm stressed out. Well, here's two weeks on stress. Oh, I don't know what to do with my marriage. Oh, here's a week on marriage. Oh, I just want to read through the New Testament. Here's how you can read through it in a, in a month and in, in 60 days and 90 days. I want to read through the entire Bible. Do you want to do that in one year, two years, three years, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Here's Bible reading plans. And quite honestly, you can have a couple different Bible reading plans going on, two, three, four of them going on, so that when you have some dead time throughout your day, for me, okay, I'm picking up a kid. How many people spend time waiting, picking up their kids from something? Waiting in line at school, waiting in line because they're out of practice, waiting in line. What are you doing? Facebook, Twitter, email, or are you going to look at God's Word? Some transformation that's taking place in my life. God's saying, get that junk out of your life. Yeah, you may have to engage it periodically, but when you have these dead times, why not do a Bible reading plan? you got a 30-minute drive here, a 30-minute drive there. Why not turn on the Bible and just hear the Word of God? If you're traveling a distance anywhere to get to work, your car will become your sanctuary, become the place that you spend time with God. It's really not that hard to do in our digital age. It's really not. What it comes down to is making a decision in your mind. God, I'm going to spend time with you. And God, I'm going to... Make that the first priority of my day. And I guarantee if you make it the first priority of your day, you'll start finding it happening throughout the day. But I also find if you don't make it the first priority of your day, then throughout the day, you probably don't stop to spend time with God. I had a conversation with two people this week that said, man, I've always tried to make my time with God later in the day. And both of them, even asking, said, you know what? I fail most of the time. Well, why do you fail? Because I get so tired. I get home. I'm worn out. Give God the first. You know our God is a God of first, Right? He wants us to give him the first day of the week. That's why we're here in worship. He wants us to give him the first 10% of our income. That's why he teaches the principle and tells us to tithe. He wants us to give him the first part of our day. So give God the first part. What do we need to do? Here's, here's the second thing we need to do. We need to free our minds from destructive thoughts. 
We want the mind of Christ. We want to be transformed to free our mind from destructive thoughts. Your your mind needs to be liberated. It needs to be delivered. It needs to be released because you're a prisoner of your own thoughts. You're a prisoner of things that people have told you that simply weren't true. If you have been told in your life, you are so clumsy, you probably believe that, even though it may not be true. If you have been told, you are such a stupid idiot, you know what, you probably, if you grew up with that, you probably believe that, even though that's not how God made you and that's not true. You've been told, well, you are just the ugliest thing on earth. That poor child, look at that picture. You, you probably believe that, even though that is not true. And those kinds of negative things have been spoken into your life quite possibly, direct many times of who you think you are and, and, and how, you be, how you behave and how you act in this life. Those are destructive thoughts. For some in this room, you're probably trapped by those thoughts daily. You battle with them. You struggle with them. Got to free my mind from destructive thoughts. It's not easy. The reason why it's not easy is we have two major enemies. These two enemies are trying to team tackle you, so to speak, to keep you from being liberated. These are the things that keep you from fulfilling all your good intentions. You know those good intentions about things when you say, I'm going to change this in my life, or I'm going to change that in my life, or I'm going to start doing better this. And you notice how it never happens? Kind of like what Paul was saying. Paul's saying, I have these battles, these things I want to do good that I don't do so good with. Same thing. Why? Because you have two enemies in your mind that are battling you. Battling in your brain, trying to keep you from having victory, trying to keep you from transformation. They're not going to give up ground very easily. Let me talk about those two enemies. One is your old nature. Look again at Romans 7. Paul talks about how his old nature keeps him in his mental bondage. He says, I see in my body a principle at war. That's in your brain. There's a principle at war with the law of the mind taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells inside of me. He's using a war language here. He's saying it's a battle. In other words, it's not easy. Do you ever find yourself doing things that you really don't want to do? That's a battle. When you say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that destructive behavior. I don't want to participate in that action I know is unhealthy. Let, let me say it this way. You don't have to raise your hands on this by no means. Have you ever engaged in self-defeating behavior? You ever engage in self-defeating? I mean, when you say, I know this isn't good for me, but I did it last night, 11 o'clock at night. I know this is not good, but boy, these thin mints that my wife brought home, boy, they're awful good. And I ate too many of them with a glass of milk at 11 o'clock at night. I lost the battle last night. And here we just are finishing up being healthy week. Why do things like that happen? You have all the best intentions in your new nature. I want to do the right thing, but the battle in your brain, the first battle is your old sinful nature. Your old nature is not your friend. It's the source of all your bad habits, your hurts, and your hang-ups. Romans 8.5 says, those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Notice how it's all about your brain. It's all about what you're thinking about. And so that's why you've got to fill your mind with this so that what you're doing is you're thinking on this and not those other things. Or when you start to think about other things that you know are unhealthy, you start feeling, you, because you're filled with this, this comes to your mind. If this is not in your mind and in your heart, there's nothing for God to bring up. So I encourage you to memorize Scripture. 
So I encourage you to take that little tear-off in your bulletin and put it someplace. Again, take a picture of that tear-off. Put it on your phone. Put it on your computer. Use it in different places. Fill your mind so that when these temptations come, God's Word comes alive. There's a second thing that battles you, second enemy. That's Satan. He is at war all the time. The Bible tells us he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is real. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan wants to control your mind, but he can't. But he wants to. So he sends these ideas, and he sends these thoughts in your mind. Let me be real clear. Satan cannot force you to do anything. You understand that? He cannot force you to do anything. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, Satan cannot force you to do anything because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he cannot force you to do anything, but he's going to try. He makes all kinds of suggestions, and those suggestions are extremely powerful. He is constantly continuing to plant negative thoughts in your mind. He'll use other people. He'll use television. He'll use media. He'll throw a thought in your mind, and you'll be like, where did that thought come from? How did I get that idea? Have you ever been praying? You ever been in the middle of prayer and you're like, I'm really focused, I'm just praying really good, I got my journal, I'm going to town, or you're on your knees in prayer, and all of a sudden this crazy thought just comes to your mind? You're happy, you're like, how did I go from me and God talking to this crazy thought that has nothing to do with God and maybe even a sinful thought? How does that happen? Where did it come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Satan just dropped a little bomb on your brain. That's what he does. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, you don't have to accept the thought. One of the most important things is not to believe everything you think. That gets us in trouble. That's one of the most liberating thoughts you ever get. Just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. You understand that? Sometimes we think, well, I thought that up. That's a good idea. Or, I mean, I thought of that. No, it it may not be true. Just because we automatically think of something does not mean it's true. You think a lot of stuff that's not true. In fact, maybe a majority of the stuff that you and I think about may not be true. You have all these ideas and all these thoughts, and you think, I thought it must be true. Just because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's true. It may come from your old sinful nature. It may be a thought that comes from your past. It may come from the evil one. It doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's not true, it's not true. You don't have to believe everything you think. If you will listen to one truth, it's right there, it's in God's Word, you're on the road to mental health. If you'll listen to God's Word, that's truth. You're on the road to mental health. Stuff you think about yourself, stuff you think about God, stuff you think about your husband or your wife or your life or your community or the government, sometimes they're not all true. It's not true just because you thought it. We're going to cover that in detail this week in small groups. How do we think about right things? But Satan puts these thoughts in and ideas. I mean, the moment you wake up, the moment you wake up, he starts dropping little seeds. And if you wake up in the morning and you don't feel Satan's attack or if Satan will go against you, then the problem is maybe you and Satan are on the same page going in the same direction. If you're trying to make some changes and you're trying to pursue transformation, you're probably going to have some challenges. Satan will say things like, you're not going to have a good day today. Satan will put things in your, in your thought life like, oh, today that test at school is going to be absolutely horrible. You're going to fail it. 
Satan will put things in your mind like, all oh, that business presentation today, you're not ready for it, you're going to bomb it. Satan will put thoughts in your mind like, oh, your husband, he really doesn't care that much about you, or your wife, she really doesn't care that about that much about you. He'll start giving you all kinds of thoughts. He'll start dropping all these little hints from the moment you wake up about how you are no good, how you are worthless, how you are terrible, how your life is not any good, and how you're going to fail today. That's what Satan does. When the devil gives a thought, we call it temptation. When God gives a thought, it's called inspiration. But both of them are putting thoughts in your mind. And the only way for us to know which ones are coming from God and which ones are not is that we have the basis of truth to balance it on. And we get in this Word and we go, Satan, that's a lie from you because you're a liar because God's Word tells me this. When you come up with your own thoughts, I would say that's called stupidity. Samson, do it my way. Satan has schemes. We need to be aware of them. Number one is the flesh. Number two, Satan. He wants to give us destructive thoughts and destroy us. In order to free your mind from destructive thoughts, you need God's Word. You need God's Word. You must battle your enemies, your old self, and the liar. There's three choices for a healthy mind. One is to need to feed my mind with truth. Two, I must free my mind from destruction thoughts. And three, I must focus my mind on the right things. You must focus your mind on the right things. In order to renew our minds and transform our lives, we need to focus our minds on things that are from above. Let me suggest you three areas as I bring this to a close where to focus your mind on the right things. One is focus your mind on Jesus. As you walk every single day, focus your mind on Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says the Bible commands us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Spend time just focusing on Jesus. The next verse goes on to tell us to think about Jesus' example, to consider how He lived His life. You know how you focus on Jesus? You have to be in His Word. You want to focus on Jesus? Get, get a Bible or get a translation or open up your app and turn on the red letters. And just say, I want to read the red letters. You know what the red letters are in the Bible, right? The red letters in your Bible are the words of Jesus. And someone has said, you could probably just read the words of Jesus and it's all you need. I think it helps to have the whole text, but I think there's some truth in that too. You could just read just the red letters and you're going to understand an awful lot about God's plan and what He wants for you. Focus on Jesus. Second, focus on others. Philippians 2.4 says, don't think just about your own affairs, but be interested in others and what they're doing. Sometimes we can get ourselves so down and so out. Oh my goodness, life is so horrible, so terrible, it's falling apart. When to think about somebody else in their situation. Because usually when we have it bad, somebody else has it worse. Somebody else is going through a major struggle. Think about somebody else. And beyond that, think about how you can be a blessing to somebody else. You know one of the best things, if you're fighting any kind of depression, go out and serve some people. You're bad on depression, pack up and say, you know what, me and some friends, grab a few friends and say, let's go on down here and serve at the soup kitchen. Let's go over here and help at the Salvation Army. Let's go over here and serve in the children's ministry. Let's go over here and help with student ministry. Get away from what you're thinking about and go take care of somebody else. Go help build a house, Habitat for Humanity. Go care about somebody else. It's one of the most most healing things for those who are fighting depression. Rick Warren in a book, The Purpose Driven Life, that he's referenced a couple of times in our studies, Rick says he wanted to open with the most countercultural thought he could. The first line in the book says, it's not about you. And in our society today, we live kind of like it is all about me. 
need to change that thought process. We want to focus on the right things. We focus on Jesus. We think about others. Take time to pray for other people. Do you have people you pray for regularly? Do you have a list of people you keep? You're like, I'm praying for them. Are you aware of people when they're hurting? When you see a thing that does come across social media or you see a thing via email, like, oh, yeah, sorry about their luck, and you just keep on going? Or do you actually stop and actually take some time to pray? Focus on Jesus. Focus on others. Thirdly, focus on eternity. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now that doesn't mean we should just sit around and think about heaven all day long. But it does mean that we run our values and our plans through a heavenly grid to think about things from eternal perspective. For example, would you agree that we spend a lot of our time in life thinking about money? I mean, isn't that a discussion in most homes? Well, I need to buy this. I need to buy that. We've got to pay this bill. got to pay that bill. What about retirement? What about paying for the kids' school? How are we going to put clothes on their back? I mean, money is centered around our discussion constantly. Wonder if we'll ever have enough when it comes to it. What about if your discussion and your thought on money would be, how can I use my money to change lives for eternity? How is the, the job that I have? How are the blessings that I have? How is the bonus that I receive? How can it be used to change lives for eternity? That's how you focus on eternity. You start thinking differently versus, you know what? Hey, honey, we're getting that big old bonus. I can't wait to go on that vacation. Is there anything wrong with vacation? No, but in that discussion, is there also, wait a minute, what about God's kingdom? What about eternity? How do we use the resources you've given us, God, to change lives for eternity. When you start running your, your thought process through that, you know you're focusing more on eternity. You know, realistically, life is just a little bleep. We live for eternity. We live for eternity. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You can't really fully imagine it. You can't really fully grasp it. But here's what I know. If this rug represents eternity, and whenever it started with God beginning it, and eternity that goes on, if this rug were to go on and on and on and on, what we're doing right now today might be just this section of eternity. And eternity lasts forever. And so as God started it, and now we are maybe in this part of it right now, but eternity goes on forever, we have to decide how do we want to live eternity? Where do we want to live in our eternity? And that decision is made here. Do I want eternity with Jesus or do I want eternity separated from Jesus? Do I want eternity with God or do I want eternity separated from God? And God gave us Jesus to be the bridge so that we can live in eternity with Him. Too many times we live just thinking about this right here. This is all I'm focused on. What's going on right now? My job today, my kids of this, my kids that, my life of this, my life of that, whatever's happening right now, all we think about is right here when we should be looking forward and go, what's the rest of eternity going to be? To focus on eternity. Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. He has got great things prepared for us. When you start thinking about all the problems and the little nitpicky problems are going on, they seem so inferior compared to eternity. 
I need to feed my mind on the truth of God's Word every day. I need to feed my mind, free my mind from destructive thoughts, and I need to choose not to think then by changing the way I think, then I can focus on the right things and focus on Jesus and focus on eternity. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, in this journey of transformation. Father, transformation comes by us knowing Jesus. Transformation comes, Lord, by having the Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us, to direct us, to point us in the right direction, to help us for every single day. And Father, we receive Jesus. And then Lord, I confess, sometimes we receive Jesus and Your Holy Spirit and then we stop trusting. And so Lord, help us to trust Jesus. Help us to look to Your Holy Spirit for direction and for wisdom and for guidance and for the changing of our mind, for the renewing of our mind. Father, draw us to Your Word. Give us a hunger for Your Word like we've never experienced in our lives. Lord, make us hungry that when we wake up, we want to be in Your Word. That when we go through our day, we're thinking about getting in Your Word. That we allow Your Scriptures to speak, to change our mind. Father, thank You that Jesus, Jesus gives the opportunity for eternity to be changed for all of us. And Lord, we celebrate Jesus, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, His victory over the grave in communion this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.